Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times what least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches they never changed anything. What's it like to live where you work? For most of us, that's unthinkable. But imagine living and working at one of the biggest factories in the world. A workplace the size of Monaco. For these 17,000 employees, it's reality. They come from all over China, seeking a brighter future at this factory called Yupa. Workers craft coffee makers, irons, and electric grills in staggering quantities every single day. But Yupa is more than a steady paycheck. It's home. People get married here. 
They send their kids to school here, but the work never stops. Yupa's managers are on a mission to produce new products for every corner of the globe that could forever change the way we think of Made in China. Step behind the closed doors of modern China into a factory the size of a city. Welcome to the place that calls itself Factory of the World. By the time you finish watching this program, Yupa's 17,000 Chinese workers will produce nearly 20,000 electrical appliances. Every day they churn out 60,000 irons. Every month, Yupa makes 36,000 coffee makers. That's two new machines for every Starbucks on the planet. And every year, these laborers produce a staggering 18 million electric grills. Stacked side by side, they'd span the Atlantic from New York to London. Chances are you own something built right here. Factories like these don't exist in North America or Europe. But they're not uncommon in China, where labor is cheap. Yupa runs on human sweat alone. No need for robots. To ensure non-stop production, workers need a steady stream of parts. Someone has to make sure those parts get to the right place in time. This is Ming Long Pa. He started work at Yupa in 1994. I'm in charge of production control. Production control is the brain of the factory. Its main function is to coordinate each department. If any of Yupa's factories run out of parts, Mr. He's job is on the line. The production line cannot wait. We have to guarantee that our production is smooth. Running out of materials would affect our efficiency affect our productivity and affect our revenue. So I have to fix this in the shortest time possible. Today, a problem at the iron factory needs smoothing out. Workers on the iron line are low on a crucial part. To keep up production, they need 2,000 units and they need them now. Just now I found out the main problems here at the iron department. One major problem is the case for model 603. They need 2,000 right now. Traditional plants use outside suppliers for their components. Not Yupa. To slash costs and stay competitive, Yupa builds its own parts on site. So Mr. Hu's supplier is only a bike ride away. But even the supplier is dangerously low on stock. 
，我大概要要赶快把它送过去哈。好的，七点钟准时安排送料。对对对。Mr. He has found barely enough parts to last the day. 好，谢谢谢谢。When he gets another urgent call. Now the grill factory is low on a crucial component. Grills are the company's most profitable products. Yupa started producing one line of grills in 1994. Now, 60 assembly lines churn out 800 different models. Workers make one grill every 12 seconds. That's 50,000 grills per day, or 1.5 million per month. Enough grills for every person in Dallas. Grills bring in $350 million a year. But Yupa wants more. Little wonder Lu Jinye acts like a general leading his troops to war. By next year, managers expect workers to crank out 500 million dollars worth of grills. Yupa's profits have to rise to outmuscle the competition. Mr. Ye supervises 850 workers on 30 lines. We have to coordinate all these workers and pull all their thoughts into one. It takes teamwork to accomplish our goals to get the results we want. Mr. Ye is obsessed with quality control. His aim: boost output without compromising quality. In a factory this big, with a production run so massive, even the hyper-efficient Mr. Ye hits a roadblock. This holder piece holds the grill plate. What we are seeing now is the assembly of this piece. The problem is the size. It's the wrong size. They've run out of part number two six two seven. It attaches the core heating element to the frame. Without this simple component, assembly lines will shut down. Unless Mr. Ha finds a fresh supply, and soon. If we don't get them the parts, six production lines will have to stop. When every part is on hand, grills assemble like a simple puzzle. Wires are linked to the heating element, and the element is fixed to the plate. When it's not locked down properly, it will fall off. If it falls off, it will burn the hands of our customers and consumers. This job is very important. Then it's time to connect the power cord. The brown wire is live, and the green wire is neutral. The one with the writing on it matches the brown wire. Connect them, and that makes the wire live. Each grill is inspected for flaws in construction or appearance. Finally, every grill is tested to make sure everything is in working order. On a typical day, Mr. Ye's team must make 700 of Yupa's 50,000 grills. Missing parts cause delays, 
cost Jupa a fortune and force workers into overtime to meet their quota. Finding the missing parts falls to Mr. Hoff, and the pressure is on. Mr. Hu finally arrives, and he has good news. He's found 2,000 parts to keep the lines moving, and 50,000 more are on the way. Mr. He's day has ended on a high note. He heads home to a company subsidized apartment only minutes away. His wife, Hong Zhang Yu, also works for the plant. Together they lead a life of relative luxury. Family life in China is a communal affair. His parents and his in-laws live here, thanks to Yupa. It's one more reason workers are fiercely loyal to their company. Our products all have the Made in China tag. I hope our products can bring to consumers a sense of joy, a sense of, it's worth it. This is my biggest wish. Fulfilling that wish will come at a cost. When I first arrived here, I didn't know anyone else, and we all have to live together. It was really tough in the beginning. Yupa's next generation of workers must leave their families behind and devote their lives to the company. It's a place tourists never see. The new face of modern China, competitive, hungry for profits, and ready to take on the world. Located near the city of Xiaomeng, the Yupa complex sprawls for 1.8 square kilometers, almost the size of Monaco. We have about over 20 buildings here, you know, the largest building, you know, uh, equal like four football fields. You can have 60 to 70 assembly line. Each assembly line can have 25 to 35 workers in the line. 25 years ago, there were no factories here, only farms. In the 1980s, the Chinese government decided capitalism... I'm a ref being chased out of town after the worst game of my career. You forget one down and the whole stadium turns on you. If you have credit rate insurance, it may not pay for all this. You get all state. You can save money and be better protected from mayhem like me. Shop less, get more. Make one call to an Allstate agent. The communist regime established so-called special economic zones, designated places for free markets and foreign investments. Yupa, a Taiwanese company, moved here in 1988. 
In a few short years, it became the largest manufacturer of irons, electric grills, and espresso makers in the world. Yupa is a city unto itself, with restaurants and convenience stores, soccer fields and basketball courts, and living quarters for everyone from students to families. Success made it big, and size keeps it successful. Mass production runs push down costs. Almost all parts are made on-site, keeping supply costs low and parts within easy reach. Because we are in this location pretty much isolated, we don't have satellite uh, suppliers around us to build you know, parts for us. So we had to do it in-house, and we had to do it in a large scale. Yupa's main advantage is a cheap and endless labor force, ready to work for a fraction of a Western wage. 16-year-old Mao Fen Guao left her family and came here in 2008. But Guao isn't just looking for work. She's here to escape poverty and make her mother proud. In China, many parents prefer sons to daughters. My mother has only two daughters. She's always upset about that. And in order to not let her down, I must work harder and harder. Guo is a worker in training. With about a thousand other students, she attends Yupa's on-site trade school. To get here, she had to pass entry exams and pay Yupa tuition. Now she's enrolled in three years of study and hands-on training at the factory. If she does well, Guao hopes for a job at Yupa. At the very beginning, I thought it was very hard. But now that I've gone through all this, it's easier. There's a lot to learn, but I'm still full of confidence. Today, she and her classmates are learning everything they ever wanted to know and more about irons. To get a job, Guao must learn the ins and outs of every product line. We're changing constantly. Last time, we were making grills. Then we changed to coffee makers, and now electric iron. Workers on 27 production lines pump out an iron every 15 seconds, and as many as 60,000 irons a day. Production includes at least 10 separate brands for dozens of companies. With over 30 steps to assembly, iron making is intricate work, and there's no room for error. Assembly starts with a water spray unit, made up of springs, rubber, and washers. With training and practice, it snaps into the spout in seconds. If it's not closed tight, it will leak or blow. Then it won't work properly. Now the sprayer and spout are joined to the handle. The two parts of the water reservoir are placed in a heating machine. That melts the space between them and makes the reservoir watertight. Welding is an important part of production. However, it will be easy as long as we follow our operational guidelines. 
Next, the thermostat is attached to the base. You need to make sure you're using the correct format before you insert the base. Using a wrong base can lead to fire. Wiring is also important. Where there is a wiring mistake, there's hidden trouble. A plastic buffer is placed between the heating element and the handle to keep the handle and the user's hand from getting too hot. After that, the plug is welded to the back of the iron. We're connecting the wire for the power supply. I can do about four to five pieces every minute and 300 pieces an hour. Once the spray and steam buttons are attached, it's testing time. First, the steam and squirting functions. Second, the iron's electrical system. Faulty units are either repaired or removed. Finally, irons that pass inspection are packed up and shipped away. The team won't cut corners or settle for second best. Today, Guao and her classmates will put classroom theory into practice and work the iron line. For a teenager from a small town, living and working in a giant factory can be overwhelming. My life is not as hard as it was before. I'm getting used to this place now. Work on the iron line goes better than expected. For Guao, juggling work and school isn't that difficult. The hard part is leaving family and living far from home. I guess it's learning how to be independent. When I first arrived here, I didn't know anyone else, and we all have to live together. It was really tough in the beginning. Like China, Guao is adapting to a new world of high technology and tough international competition. And like China itself, she's determined to succeed. I don't see myself working on the production line forever, doing the same job. Maybe I'm a bit arrogant or too confident about myself, but I want a better future. For some people, a better future keeps them married to their job. Workers at Yupa are married to the company. Based in southeast China, Yupa is one of the biggest factories on the planet. Today and every day, its 17,000 workers are getting the world ready for breakfast. In the next 24 hours, it will produce 1,200 conventional coffee makers. Over the next 30 days, these assembly lines will deliver 210,000 cappuccino espresso machines. In the space of one year, nearly two and a half million coffee makers will pour out of Yupa and into the kitchens of the world. At the center of all this is Young Lee. We already have two or three hundred styles, and we develop and add over 40 new styles every year. Lee's mandate is crucial and broad. Tackle any problem that could slow down non-stop production. 
我们要呃想尽一切的办法去。We have to make every effort to find these problems and to solve them. We have to make sure that every process is working perfectly. Manufacturing shouldn't be delayed because of these problems. Today, he's got a brand new kind of problem. One of Yupa's big clients has designed a new coffee maker. It's up to Lee to build a working prototype to entice the client into going ahead with mass production. Hundreds of Yupa jobs and millions of dollars in potential business are now in Lee's hands. Making prototypes is a large portion of my job and is vitally important to the development of the company. Lee starts by assembling the heating system for the water and steam. Then he carefully places it into the main body. Just when Lee's ready to assemble it all, there are parts missing. The supplier is just a walk away, a long walk, but Lee doesn't mind the distance. Someone special is waiting for him at the supply depot. The person helping him today is his girlfriend. These perks make Yupa more than a place of work. With a workforce of 17,000, many of them married with kids, this factory city turns office space into personal space. Sometimes we work together. For example, if we need the help from the technician to solve production problems, then we meet each other afterwards. Li Yang Li works in the parts supply department. She first came to Yupa in 2004. We fell in love at first sight. I always think it must be God who makes her work here and wait for me. Even now, I still think the same. Yupa management encourages these intimate connections. They believe couples that work together are more loyal to the company. By working in the same company, we can go to work together and take care of each other. We can see each other more often. What's more, we can be with each other when we have a problem. With the missing parts in hand, Lee is ready for wiring. Making it all fit into the chamber isn't easy. I will have to organize all the electrical wires properly to make sure the coffee maker operates safely. But the real test will come after shipping. If the client approves of Lee's model, Yupa could get a massive order. If it doesn't, hundreds of jobs are on the line. If I make the prototype in a sloppy way, our customers will lose confidence in the quality of our products. It will be a great loss to our company. Weeks later, Lee's model is approved for mass production. And right away, he sets out to create a brand new production line. It takes a week to prepare the assembly line and train the workers to make the new coffee machine. Making a coffee maker is not an easy job at all. 
It requires professional knowledge and a profound understanding of coffee culture. When the prep is done, Factory City springs into action and works with astonishing speed. Lee's prototype took half a day to make. Now line workers churn out 700 machines a day. Lee's shift is done, and when work ends at Factory City, romance begins. When we're done work, we normally go shopping together or take a walk. It gives us a sense of happiness. The couple plan to get married at a mass wedding, paid for and organized by the company. All at once, dozens of Yupa workers will tie the knot while thousands of co-workers look on. If we take part in the group wedding, with the best wishes of all of our co-workers here, we know we will be getting married in the factory of the world, one world, one dream, and that would be unforgettable. A mass wedding is the couple's way of showing their love for each other and their passion for Yupa. Chef Xing Ming Li has a passion of his own, feeding the 17,000 workers that power the factory of the world. At Factory City, the day has barely begun. But Chef Xing Ming Li already faces his first daily deadline. Li runs one of five independent restaurants at Yuba. Competition between them is intense. Profits are razor thin. And Li needs thousands of customers every day just to survive. In his eyes, he's not just serving meals, he's fueling the workers that power the factory of the world. If they don't eat well or eat enough, they won't have enough energy. Then they won't perform well at Yupa. It all starts with fresh ingredients beef, pork, bok choy, onions, carrots and winter melon. We have all fresh seasonal vegetables here. Whatever you can find from the food market, you can find here. Everything is washed, sliced, and diced. Yupa churns out millions of kitchen appliances a year. But there are no food processors in Lee's kitchen. Nothing is automated. Everything is done by hand. By 9 a.m., Lee's staff is already racing against the clock. We'll have to finish everything before 11 o'clock because Yupa staff restaurants all open at 11.30. We have to be there in advance. In two hours, 3,000 workers will stop. I'm a ref being chased out of town after the worst game of my career. You forget one down and the whole stadium turns on you. If you have cut 
high rate insurance, they may not pay for all this. So get Allstate. You can save money and be better protected from mayhem like me. Shop less, get more. Make one call to an Allstate. Lee expects just as many for dinner. This means his staff of 50 must serve 6,000 meals by sunset. That's 125 kilograms of oil, 50 kilograms of beef, and 300 kilograms of pork. That's more than 1 million tons of food every year. His chefs turn stock ingredients into hundreds of delicious dishes. We can make different cuisines. Our chefs are all the best of their hometown. They cook up dishes from Fujian, Sichuan, and Henan regions, and they'll soon add halal fare for Muslim clients. I believe everything that we cook should taste like what your mom cooks for you at home. Lee's obsession with food comes from growing up hungry. My family was very poor. Although my dad was working very hard to earn money, he still didn't have much food to eat. Now, food is never in short supply, and all of Lee's clients return to work with their bellies full. Lee's passion for food has made him a perfectionist. He hunts the market for produce that's perfectly ripe and reasonably priced. In his kitchens, Lee controls the cooks, and no dish goes out without his approval. Too bland. Some salt and chicken stock will make it taste better. The special today is spicy Szechuan pork. Actually, anyone can cook. The key is our chefs make their own special seasonings that you can't get from the market. Lee insists the pork must be extremely fresh. He expects perfect timing from every cook. Timing is what the chefs are really good at, but they may not be willing to share that information. But now it's almost 10 a.m. And Lee's kitchen is about to hit the boiling point. With the clock ticking, the team of chefs are stir-frying and stewing to feed an army. It might be a bit of an exaggeration to say that it's a battlefield, but it's true that we're really busy. We have to finish everything within one hour. Then we will deliver them to our restaurants. We don't have time to do other things. By 11 a.m., they pull it off. Dozens of different dishes for 3,000 people and right on time. Drivers rush the dishes to the restaurant nearby. Competition between the five independent restaurants at Yupa keeps quality and choice high and prices low. Workers pay about 50 cents per meal, thanks to a company subsidy. To turn a profit, thousands of customers must pass through Lee's door each day. But it's not profits that keep Lee up at night. More than anything, he wants people to enjoy his food. 
I've experienced a lot of sleepless nights. I often blame myself for the mistakes that occurred in the daytime. I should have done better. So far, his customers look happy. After lunch, while workers crank out appliances, Lee will be planning dinner, determined to satisfy his next 3,000 customers. I hope that Yupa and everyone else will trust me and become my friends. I'll be content if they all come to dine in my restaurant. If feeding workers at the factory of the world is tough, try being the guy who must make everyone get along. In this factory city, 17,000 people live and work inside 1.8 square kilometers. Rush hour is a human traffic jam. Just getting to work on time is a job well done. Inside these walls, office politics and conflicts play out on a massive scale. The man managing all this human friction could have Yupa's toughest job of all. Now in his second year on the job, Ya Xin Fu is the manager of Yupa's service department. His job, address anything that affects the day-to-day -day life of Yupa's 17,000 workers. I have to find a balance between the costs of the company and the needs of the employees. Too little and the employees will be dissatisfied. Too much and the company won't be happy, so it's a big challenge. Keeping Yuba's army of laborers in line is no small task. At this regular weekly meeting, Fu is boosting company morale. Leading them is like raising children. We have to raise them with love. Yupa's workers come from every corner of China. Most are in their 20s and 30s. They work on average 40 hours a week and make between 90 and 320 US dollars a month. While wages are even higher in big cities like Shanghai, many Yupa workers make double what they did back home if they had any work there at all. As with any mass organization, thousands of employees create endless demands. It's Mr. Fu's job to address all of them. He does everything he can to keep everyone motivated and committed to staying at the factory of the world. Fu visits staff living quarters as part of his regular rounds. We're now going to the workers' dormitory. I routinely go there to check if anything can be improved. If there is, I will talk to the superintendent. Fu is part landlord and part tenant's rights advocate. Today, he's ensuring Yupa rooms are ready for a group of new workers. Average rent is only $6 per month. 
but the type of accommodation depends on a worker's rank and the amount of money they are willing to part with. Fu is paying a visit to Mao Fan Guao, who has a noise complaint. Fu believes that to build quality products, Yupa's workers must be well rested and well fed. The challenge is that there are 17,000 employees and they come from all over China. Everyone has different tastes. I have to take care of everybody. Yupa's restaurants are extremely competitive, and some have been known to skimp on meat portions to keep costs low. Yupa has strict rules about when and where vendors can sell their food. Fu keeps them in line. Now we are going to check on the other restaurants. We have designated areas for them. If they break the rules, I will kick them out. These vendors aren't trespassing. They work for the factory's restaurants. But they are breaking the rules by selling food too close to rival restaurants. Everyone must have a permit. A veteran on these streets, Phil recognizes this woman. He busted her once before. Today, Fu lets everyone off with a warning. Next time, he may ban them from selling food at Yupa. I talk to them, but they will break the rules again, so I have to check on them every day. China's web of cultures complicates Fu's job. Everyone comes from different families and different provinces, so their customs of eating and living are totally different. So I have to adapt to them. But one thing unites all of Yupa's workers, the world's most popular sport. On the field, tension and stress vanish. Because employees are undergoing a lot of pressure at work, we have to give them an outlet and let them exercise. But most important is the team building. Don't care for soccer? Yupa offers other ways for workers to get their exercise. For entertainment, we have ball game competitions like basketball, table tennis, and other games. These sorts of competitions. It's all part of Fu's mission at one of the world's biggest factories. A place with no boundaries between work and life. For Fu, it's a never-ending battle to keep the peace and to keep the company together.
It really is a miracle. A company this big, with all the employees together, holding hands and moving forward. This is not easy. And while there may be harmony inside Yuba's walls, outside, competition is cutthroat. In a global market, innovation is key. Yuba's employees must endure tough changes to survive. In the global marketplace, there's no room for second best. To survive, companies need a competitive edge. Like most China-based companies, Yupa has relied on low labor costs, making products designed by others. But it wants to move up the production food chain. Yupa's leaders want to design products of their own. They have little choice. To thrive and survive, Yupa must develop a new generation of products. The factory's very existence depends on it. Thousands of jobs hang in the balance. No work means not being able to live. This is a fundamental requirement. It's how humans survive. You have to earn money to make a living, and to earn money, you have to work. Ji Rong Pan knows how high the stakes are. He is Yupa's vice president of product innovation. I think innovation is the competitive edge of our company, because our company is in the field of home appliances, and the whole home appliance industry is a lifestyle industry. Mr. Pan sent his staff overseas to study the lifestyle products of the future. They returned with a simple message: the future is green. We studied the consumers of North America and Europe and their thoughts on this new energy of the future. So we know that their love of the earth is actually very strong. Pan and his designers make a bold decision. The first appliance in Yupa's new product line will be powered by the sun. It's a solar CD player. We want to bring this clean solar energy concept into people's homes. Going solar may sound easy, but solar panels are expensive, and they're meant to work outside, not in the dim corners of people's homes. A 3D image of Yupa's appliance of the future starts to emerge. Now the team must turn a digital design into reality. This factory is a very important part of our development process. It helps turn a product concept into a finished prototype. Using the design specs, a computerized milling machine cuts a foam cast, and the cast is converted into a hard plastic prototype. If things go according to plan, the model will be used to produce millions of identical copies. It allows us to test the product to see if this fulfills our requirements while bringing value to the customers. Now engineers perfect the solar power system. The system must collect and store solar energy. Every aspect of design must maximize energy efficiency. We've spent a lot of time studying this. What kind of technology, what kind of material, what kind of parts can help us improve our energy efficiency? 
Finally, Yupa's product of the future is revealed. The solar CD player is simple and elegant. The player will charge indoors when left near a window. And the system is uniquely versatile. It will work with any energy-efficient appliance Yupa designs. But one question remains. Will the world embrace Chinese solar products? We want to bring what people originally thought of as an industrial thing and truly integrate it into their daily lives to enable consumers to truly experience solar energy. This is a very magical energy concept. If these innovative products succeed, Yupa could achieve its dream, a dream it shares with China, to be the factory of the world. I want consumers and everyone to have faith in our products and faith in the workers. I hope everyone can enjoy the products we produce. This will make us proud. With Factory City in full swing and new products in the works, more and more goods will carry the Made in China label. But for China and Factory City, growth comes at a cost. Every day, the 17,000 people at Yupa endure the stress and uncertainty of a cutthroat world economy. To fight off fierce competitors and build a better life, these men and women work and live together as one at the factory of the world. F-A-C-T-C-A-D-E-M-Y, Fact Academy, simply a combination of a factory and a school. Last three years, I've been, I travel about some places I go are far-flung places, many time zones away. <clears throat> um, I always have my antennas up to pick up ideas. Um, and I'm glad I found that audio we just let's play before we go to the phone lines here. And that's what the end of this month. That's what will be actually before the end of this month. We'll be well, all we have now is the field. <laughs> we have a field, several big fields, but we're starting in Oklahoma with a field. Um, and then we have to put a a building on it, but. Um, maybe you got to start somewhere, but uh, that I I got a lot of ideas out of that that last audio we played. Before we go to the phone lines, we have a shorter video on. Um, I was in Vermont last year, and then ran across uh, what I'm about to play right now, and then we'll go to the phone lines. 
Be honest with me here. When you study or get work done, how good are you at focusing on that work? And by that, I mean how susceptible are you? Wrong, wrong audio. Um, here's the right audio. The biggest thing against me is I'm driven by purpose. I'm driven by a dream, and I'm driven by a reason to do things, not so much the money. I'm always saying money will come if you keep doing what you have a passion for. I didn't have a passion anymore. My dream was gone. The economy was gone. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know why to get out of bed, you know. Until I acquired a bunch of lumber, I was doing manual labor. I was digging ditches again. Here I'm in my 50s, and I'm sitting beside 19-year-old, 20-year-old guys digging and working and going back to what I did when I was 19 and 20. But I kept a lot of materials and stacked them up. And then when I had enough, I don't know, I just gotten on the internet and seen these tiny homes and they were 70, 80, $90,000. And I just, and I'm like, God, how can we get this down lower? I mean, we can sell a home for 22 to 25,000 and they still can't afford them. And so I had this massive facility and I, I love being around people and getting to know folks. You know, I heard people wanting to come and they wanted to build their own homes. So I thought, well, hey, why don't they come here, build their own homes, and we'll do it on a scale of five at one time. That helps me make money. It helps you guys save money. Nobody in the country is doing it. So they're staying here. They're actually living here, staying here, eating here, the whole deal. And they're experiencing the whole thing. has done a couple of stories with Randy previously and really there's just been such a buzz around the tiny house industry ever since HGTV started their thing and he heard that there was a local guy who was doing the same thing and wanting to build tiny homes. We thought that's a great opportunity to come out here and you know meet the people who are wanting to downsize and go with a tiny home. Hi my name is Whitney Ross and I'm from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. I uh, work with a food truck. Hi I'm Sonia Cox from North Tennessee. I'm a caregiver. My name is Samantha, and I guess I'm technically from Smyrna, Tennessee now. I quit my job back in August to go back to school to become a paralegal. Philip Newby from outside of Huntsville, Alabama. I'm Bobby Newby, and I'm from uh, North Alabama. I'm going to be a elementary school teacher. I'm Air Force. I actually just graduated um, this past December. Wayne Kabonsig. I'm from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, yeah, my idea is to have a tiny house village in Texas. I've never done a workshop. We've done a lot of work around the house. Oh, nothing like this, just random wood projects at home. <laughs> no, I've put together a birdhouse with like sliding pieces. That's like it. You know, definitely looking forward to learning some skills, just basic carpentry skills, but also connecting with other people uh, that are interested in tiny homes. <laughs> I've always wanted to build my own house. My parents did, and um, like all of our friends helped and stuff. And so when this opportunity came about, it was kind of perfect. We have a special daughter. She used to live independently, but due to a seizure, she had to move back home. So we wanted her to gain her independence once again. This entire thing is going to be a tribute to mom. Get the windows in, everything going. Well, 
Yeah, we're just uh, finishing up some framing on the windows. I've got the tech her as well. Before I even finish my first cup of coffee, Josh installed the last window. And it turned out he installed it upside down. Now that they're saying our workforce in America is low, the attitudes and all that, I really think that it's about the environment in which a man works. When a man, I think when men and women, but when people work in an environment that they're, they feel positive and they feel like they're, they're contributing to something that's bigger than they are, I mean, it motivates them, you know, and maybe that's what's going on here. Okay, um, yeah, that guy, what he does is um, they do like five, five a week. Five, they, they take people that want to have a tiny home and they want to participate in actually building their tiny home, a tiny house, and they do five of them together with their little teams, five of them together, and then at the end of the week they um they uh well they take their tiny homes or have them shipped back to wherever they live. So um any event we'll be sort of doing something like that. Let's go to our phone lines. Um three fourteen area code your mic is open. Good morning, LA. Good morning, Bianchi. You know, uh, the way they do things there in China, in the Asian country, as far as uh, manufacturing is, is tremendously. It's yeah, not I, as I like easy as. Um, of the, uh, you know, the way they had those, that at least that one factory set up. Mm-hmm. And when you get a chance, I want you to check out some some other concepts like in India where they feed 40,000 people a day and you might want to talk on that <clears throat> you talk about spirituality sorry hold on feed 40,000 people a day is that in the factory or and what, and no what, this what is free this is free this is oh. a, in the temples the uh, video the the, the uh YouTube search is the kitchen serving 40,000 people a day. Okay. And then they have one amazing food preparation for 40,000 people in Hyderabad. And it shows them the process that they go through cooking the food, how they collect it, they use uh, solar thermal. Some of the buildings use solar thermal to produce steam to cook the food. You know, that's probably one of the best ways of, uh, other than gas, I think. I don't like electric. Mm-hmm. But uh, but this is amazing what they do, L.A. And uh, that's one yeah, place I'm that I want to visit. Yeah, that is amazing. They cook, they provide food. And some of these places are bring in three or 4,000 people at a time. And by the time it's all done, they would have fed 40,000 or more people a day, 365 days a year, and it's all free. And this is not the one temple. These temples are set up across the country of India. And you have different groups. 
You have the sheik groups. You have the groups that's dedicated to a certain god or goddess. And uh, it just goes on and on and on. The golden temples. And, and this is something you have to ask yourself, how are they doing this? And if you're talking about people in the United States, let's talk about black folks. I ain't talking about anybody else because, you know, whenever I make, whenever we make a, we bring out something that's going on within black society, then somebody says, well, white folks do it too. And that's a cheap cop out. Mm-hmm. But why is it that they can do this and the country is supposed to be as poor as it is? Why is well, this study? First thing, and that, that's a whole other podcast, to find what is poor. You know, define what is poor, define what is first world, define what is developing countries and third world. Um. Yeah, that, you know, we had we had to do some definition first. And everybody is working. Nobody's seeming to be unemployed. Everybody has something to do. The young people, mm-hmm. the older people, they all have something to do. Now, on the first uh, conversation, the first uh, video that you showed about the town where the manufacturing was going on. And uh, I don't know if you can duplicate that here in the United States anymore, but it is done because, for instance, in the automobile industry, assembly industry, you have a lot of companies that provide parts for automobiles, whether it's chassis, whether it's seats, buttons, so on, so on, so on. You know, when you look at black enterprise, top 100 black businesses, the top twenty-four oh, yeah, business uh, auto parts. Yeah, you have about six black-owned businesses that's in the top twenty-four. I think you have some come in like twenty-one and twenty-three, mm-hmm. but uh, Bridgman and several other comp- companies are in that top, and we're talking about businesses that's doing over six hundred million dollars a year. Are upwards. Right. So it's not no small change. Now, with companies like that that has that type of experience, they have enough experience in understanding logistics, understanding the ability to schedule and meet time goals. They have the the ability to take that any place in the world if they wanted to, True. especially in upcoming countries. Like on the African continent. Well, like, well, now China is, you know, as everybody, or almost everybody knows now that China's investing heavy in, you know, many parts of Africa. So American mm-hmm. companies can do the same thing because your, your labor costs are going to be less expensive. And I see Nigeria is going to be the one that's going to be doing that. They're just doing it, they're coming along. And as, as far as the education is concerned, you need uh, young people that are specializing with a degree in engineering, especially along the lines of injection mold engineers. 
material engineers, quality engineers, manufacturing engineers, mechanical engineers. In order to make the process that was talked about in that video, you have to have people that's associated in those degree fields. In injection molding engineers, look at your refrigerators. When you open the ins open the door of your refrigerator and look inside or freezer, that white plastic with its peculiar shapes and bulges, all that was designed by injection molding. And you have to have engineers that's astute and calculus in order to compute those curves, those turns, and the shapes that you see in your refrigerator because all that comes out is one piece. And if you really want to see something that's amazing, look how they put those things together. You know, there's a, a company, there's a group here, the Amish, that makes uh, solar re freezers that can be used in remote areas. And uh, the Amish yeah, had I, I looked one. That up, um, the last, I looked it up at last time you mentioned. You know what, now, I guess mm -hmm. we'll start on it now, but it can lead to a whole other podcast, particularly when it comes to African-American students, when it comes to engineering, we don't, uh, I don't know what the stats are, I'm going to look them up, but a lot of African-American students are not majoring. I mean, you do have them in majoring in various aspects of engineering, but apparently there's not enough of us, the young ones, majoring yeah, in engineering. Right. Matter of fact, there's an article, <clears throat> there was a news article that reported that African-Americans are overrepresented in low-paying majors. And that's because of the school systems that they're coming out of. And I was just looking at some literature that this woman gave me. It says, Tuesday, November 6, 2018, re-elect Donald Jones, elect Joyce M. Roberts. Well, Joyce M. Roberts, she was, she served on the teachers' union, local 420. Mm-hmm. There's no way in the world I would elect this woman to serve on my school board. But she will be elected, probably. You know, here in St. Louis, they dissolved the elected school board, and they put in an interim board that was appointed by, you know, the governor in order to run the affairs and get the school district out of the terrible shape that it was in. Because the people that was being elected they have not have a clue on what it is they need to be doing and the powers that they have. So uh, we started off on a good note, end on a sad one. What a way to go. Yeah, I'm in D.C. some years ago on the mayor of Cincinnati. <laughs> they he abolished the, uh, the school board. That's why I come out for school choice. Yeah, uh, Michelle Ray, who's out in California mm -hmm. now. But uh, yeah, yeah anyway. we're, um, I don't know what we're. I don't know what our kids are. Rep I mean, what they're majoring in. Well, I, I told you I talked to this one. I was in school. There was an overrepresentation in psychology. Yes, uh, psychology, sociology. Um, 
I spoke with a young lady here about two weeks ago, and you know, I usually when I see somebody, you know, I ask them, "You still in school?" and, and or what it is that you studying? And she's graduated from Wash U. Now Wash U is a heck of a school. And I asked her, "What did you take?" She said, "Africana Studies." And I looked her dead in the eyes. She looked me dead in the eyes. (laughs) We both looked each other dead in the eyes, and she started smiling. She said, I know, I know what you're thinking. I made a mistake. Where in the world are you going to do with Mm -hmm. Africana studies in today's world? That's true. Matter of fact, anybody, other people listening, if uh, when you are in school or in school, what 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 are people what were the people majoring in? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Here's another thing. When it what I tell some college students now, you know, look at you know your professor might not suggest it, but you know, try to think at what what jobs possible jobs that don't exist now, or industries that might might exist now that will exist. 10, 20, 15, 30 years out into the future. You know, because well, uh, yeah, I know what right. I was going to um, Like, I majored in mass communication. Now, the mass communication, you know, radio, TV, that type of thing, uh, there was a journalism school at my school, also in Texas. Now, they would do things together. But mm-hmm. I think the perfect marriage would have been the computer science, um, and it, it, but they weren't, you didn't have to take any classes, particularly required classes, to graduate in computer science. So I'm looking mm. at, because what I'm doing today, podcasting, you know, the internet, so, oh, but you would have to think 20, 30 years out. But there were computer science majors at my school, you know, but the, the mass communication department and the journalism department, they got together, but they did not get together with the computer science people. And it, it would have well, been you know, real, uh, I mean, easier to look into the future that way. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go on some websites like Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D, and type in injection molding engineer, and it comes back and tells you and, and give you a zip code, I did my zip code in the you know, a zip code in the St. Louis area. I did one down in Baton Rouge. Didn't come back with anything in Baton Rouge. But St. Louis area came back with fourteen jobs, and those jobs range from a hundred thousand dollars down to about sixty-five thousand. Uh, mechanical senior mechanical engineers is over a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Those injection mold uh, specialists and so on and so on and so on. You talking about starting around sixty-five thousand dollars, working your way on up. Another uh, profession that's needed that can be achieved with just a two-year associate's degree in a junior college is medical technician. Uh, St. Louis University Medical Center, a person I know that worked in that department, uh, he's looking for trying to find as many blacks as he can. But uh, those are the people that work on the equipment that's used in hospitals the monitor people's blood pressure, uh, how their heart is operating, and all blood sugar and all that stuff. Well, those 
that that equipment breaks down from time to time, and people that what do you think about, go and uh, learn how to fix it, they can do very well. Speaking of modems, mm-hmm. what do you think about three D printing? Three D printing and CAD That's something yeah. that my grandson is becoming certified in. Three D printing, sure. Autodesk, uh, CAD, and uh, those are some necessary in a particular field that he's in. I'm making sure that he's certified in that. He's also going to be certified with uh, FAA uh, FAA certification 107, which uh, he's certified to fly drones at a commercial level. And I want him to go further than that and get his PPL, which is his private pilot's license. Okay, well, he'll be prepared there for sure. That's what you got to do. Matter of fact, I know that China, they have, um, I forgot the name of the university, but it's, um, uh, for lack of a better, it's like China, China Petroleum University. That university has just, you have majors that, you know, zone in on oil and, petro- you know, petroleum products. That industry. Um, well, he is. I like he is major. Like that pop up over here, but isn't it over already? <laughs> Specialized university. Well, they are, but he, they do, and uh, he's attending. Uh, well, you got Texas A and M. You got school out there in Colorado. You got school down there in Louisiana, Louisiana State. They have mm-hmm. uh, gas and petroleum. Uh, they have one in Missouri, Missouri S and T, but. Uh, the one down in Louisiana State have live wells, especially live gas wells, that uh, students have taken gas and petroleum. Like my grandson is, they can go out there and have hands-on experience. Two reasons he went to this school, one for that and one because of, of baseball. But uh, they put $100 million in their engineering program in the last few years. That's a lot of money. Uh, like I say, those other schools there, Texas A&M, and you have Colorado School of Mines, they have excellent programs along the lines of petroleum, too. Petroleum not going no place. It's going to be around for a long time, right. especially since they come I up like with these new technologies. In the auto play today, I like that, that Chinese factory system of, you know, they have a school within the factory. Um. And I, well, I don't know what's going on in universities today. Um, Because I imagine you're going to get training there that you're not going to get in an academic, I mean, a hardcore academic setting. Mm -hmm. Now, unions have sort of, you know, unions have schools, many unions have schools, you know, for those. They got the printing schools, which is. Yeah, they got printing schools, which is tied in with the Department of Labor. Okay. And they do an excellent job. The electricians, iron workers, three years. The uh, electricians, I think, is five years. And that's how they learn. They teach their own. They train their own, should I say. And right. you can have, uh, right. in charter schools, you can have pre-apprentice, uh, let's say, uh, you can have those same, you can have courses in your charter school which uh, prerequisite you for going into those fields also, starting off in high school. 
I went to a trade high school. That high school had everything. It had aero mechanics, real airplanes, body, auto body, auto mechanics, pre-engineer, had a bake shop, had nursing, pre-med, sheet metal, electricity, electrical. They don't have them no more. Well, there's a well, there's a void that needs to be filled. Um, Well, let's come to the black community in the United States. Obviously, public schools are not cutting it. Um, No, they're not. They're terrible. Taking a page out of the Detroit school system and Aretha Franklin's home going there, we can see why that was kind of lopsided when it comes to a state plan. So Mm -hmm. it looks like. It's going to, well, it seems like an entrepreneurial opportunity. Uh, churches have the basic infrastructure, I mean, as far as the place and the people, to open up specialized schools, but I don't, you know. You ain't going to get them out of them. You know why? Because of. Black, well, a lot of pastors, regardless of color. A lot of pastors, regardless you, of color. Well, basically, you know the problem there? You the know people. the problem there? Is that the the teachers and the administrators that work in the public schools go to these churches, especially these elaborate churches like your San Francisco temples here in the St. Louis area, and those bigger checkers churches. Mm-hmm. They ain't gonna have that in those schools. I mean, we talk about uh, this conversation has been going on for a long time, and it don't happen. It, it's just not gonna happen because these folks, if they didn't, see, here's the thing: <clears throat> these folks. People that's working in these school districts, they're showing up to these churches on Sunday, uh, dressed in their elaborate dress and hats and so on and so on, tight skirts and all that. The money that they're making in these school districts where these kids are failing, that's money. Some of it is being deposited in the baskets. It really ain't baskets no more. It's wheelbarrows that they roll up and down the aisle in these churches. That's where they collect their money from. So they're not going to do that. You know, it's a shame that it has to be told like that, but it's true. And it's a shame where these uh, young blacks are being come in these schools. Total shame. So the only and then savage you got that then you got some administrators. We might we might do a podcast on that tomorrow. Yeah, some administrators in these public school systems that are embezzling money. You know, set aside for books and everything. They're, you know, they're they're taking that money and putting it in their own own accounts. Some have been busted. Yeah, various Dan Rather's done one on uh, a documentary on Detroit Public School. It's on YouTube. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. Well, when I was in the school system, it, uh, it, at the one particular school I was at, they didn't have any physics books at all. Zero. The entire school year, and they had five chemistry books. That was it. Mm-hmm. The entire school year. Now, I don't know the politics. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at where was the PTA? Um, well, let's start with the PTA. Well, because yeah, the Parents-Teacher Association. Uh, you know, to get these books into the school. 
And when was the money for the book? Well, you know, here's the thing, L.A., and with me, for now on, I said that if I give you three or four bad incidents, I'm going to try to give three or two good instances. But there are black schools out there that's doing pretty well. Your Marcus Garvey there yeah, in South Central L.A. Yeah. You no, got your you nation you're house. Talking about, you're talking about a private school. That's a well, there's school. some there's some public schools school. that was doing there's a there's a public school building from time to time that do very well, but what happens with them? Like they had Pomoja here in St. Louis that was ran by uh, Sean Nichols. Uh, if you have a school that's doing better than the other schools in the district, what they'll do they'll take that staff. And start dividing them into other schools in the district, and that there is silly. Now that school that was doing well is dropping down because you don't took out some of the dedicated and well versed in what needs to be done staff members, and they figure that if you took out you have ten and you took out five and you bring in five new ones, you shouldn't. You shouldn't miss anything. You know, you train these five new ones and everything should work very well. But a lot of times that don't work that way. <clears throat> now, Sean Nichols School is an elementary school through middle school. Okay. And what they done with him, they put him over at Sumner. You know, Sumner is a very well-known name. And those kids that's coming out of his school at the middle school is going into high school. So they're putting them over in Summer, Sumner High School. And he's over that and also, he's also over the elementary school. It's going to be, you know, something to see how that works. Okay. All right. Well, All right. Well, look, I, I'll hold back and let you get some other callers in there. No, we got another caller, but they dropped off the line. Um, they haven't called back, so. Any event, I got the lawman outside. I got to go out and pay him. So what we're gonna do is end it for today. Come back tomorrow. We might do we might do that Detroit school system thing or public school system. Talk about education here. Uh, on that note, everyone have a good rest of the day.